are recording now. All right. Great. Um, do I? Need, I did move my mic around, so I want to make sure that. Yeah, uh, you're you're fine enough there. I believe, I'm pretty sure. Um, welcome. Uh, also, even though we're recording, I'm clearly going to ask stuff that um, I already know, but getting it to record. Sure. Uh, who are you? I hope you know. I'm Brantley Tyndall. Uh, okay. I've lived in Richmond for about 15 years, and I've formerly rode my bike a lot okay. and uh, ride my bike a little bit now. Okay. I, I work with BikeWalk RVA, which okay. is a bike and pedestrian advocacy program at Sportsbackers. Okay. And um, as of a little over a year ago, I'm the president of Virginia Bicycling Federation, which I'm following in, in very big footsteps mm-hmm. uh, from my predecessor, Champ, who has a strong history with RABA and mm-hmm. and advocacy around the state. Okay. All right. Um, do you, so those are organizations, like what's your job? You I'm a job? director of outreach is my title. Okay. No, I work for a nonprofit, which means okay, I do okay. all kinds of things. Sure. Okay. Um, okay. But director of outreach for BikeWalk RBA. That's right. Um, yeah, and I would say that, you know, that's probably 75% of what I do at, at BikeWalk R- or at Sportsbackers. And then okay. I am very proud to do a lot of the heavy lifting uh, okay. for some of our our premier events. Like the, you know, we just got finished with the Richmond Marathon. And mm-hmm. I um, one of the things that I do there is I put together our structures. And so, you know, some days I'm emailing senators and delegates and some days I'm up at 4 a.m with wrenches putting together uh, your finisher start structures. Man of many talents. Um, okay. Jack of all trades, masters of none, probably. <laughs> <laughs> but you all got it done and you participated, uh, which we will, we will get to in a moment. Um, how did you get started riding? I think that's my leading question. Like, how did you get started bike riding? Let's go with that. Like the, little, the riding you kind of do now, like not... I rode on a tricycle, but like, yeah. Well, that's funny. Actually, I'd love to start with that. You know, I was digging through some pictures at my dad's house recently, and I found a picture of me with like that quintessential uh, training wheels bike. I think I was four. You know, like yeah. I was cute, and I'm sure had mud on my face or something. But I like, I, I do like to think about that. Mm-hmm. Um, I rode a lot as a kid, but when I when I think about you know when I kind of the second chapter of riding. Um, I was in college at VCU okay. in 2007, and I've got, you know, I'd love to start with a, a point of humility where I crashed my car um, in Oregon Hill. I, this is the, I'm just going to go right into it. I hit a parked car uh, that was, to, to my credit, they were parked almost 45 degrees from the corner, and I thought that I could fit through the gap, and I didn't. Okay. Uh, I also had bronchitis at the time. And just by the the, uh, the stars aligning in the the exact wrong way, mm-hmm. I like had a like a painful cough. Yeah. And uh, uh, I closed my eyes for a split second as I was trying to make it through this gap. Uh, okay. And I'm, I'm see, like in my I'm like 20 or something like this. Sure. Yeah. Um, and um, just by the confluence of all of that, I hit this car, and my very inexpensive car was totaled, and I didn't have a car for a while. And it's like, okay. well, you know, I'm. I've spent my time in downtown Richmond. I'm going to school at VCU, and I got a bike at Fantastic Thrift for $75. I took it to Bunny Hop Bike Shop when they were still on Gray Street across yeah. from Ipanema, and actually Luke is a lifelong friend of mine now. Mm-hmm. And um, he got me patched up, and I, you know, that was kind of the, the start of that chapter. Okay. How long did that bike last? It was a, it was a 1984 Schwinn Classic. World Tour. Okay. It was red with white 
accents. It was actually a really cool looking bike. Um, I sold it to a friend, okay, uh, an environmental kind of peer of mine, mm-hmm. and she rode it for years. So, okay. um, so it, on. I actually did my first long rides on it. I rode to Williamsburg, nice, um, before the Capitol Trail. So yeah. I rode sixty the entire way. I didn't know what I was doing. We didn't have Google Maps. I just <laughs> I got on I got on MapQuest, and you know, does anybody remember that anymore? Yeah. And I said, okay, how do I get to Williamsburg? So I rode to Tawano on mm-hmm. sixty, yeah, and then took whatever that north south highway is there into into William and Mary's campus because I had friends there at the time. Um, so that was like 60 ish miles on this. I, was, I had it converted to single speed, okay. uh, flat pedals, suicide bars. Like it was just like a, it was just bad. Uh, or no, it was great. It was actually wonderful. And then I rode it to my dad's house, uh, maybe later that year and okay. in Raleigh. So I did a 200 mile ride on it, um, over three days. Yeah. And you know, I, I missed the simplicity. Were you sleeping outside when you did that? I did. Yeah. Okay. I, even before we called it bike packing, I would throw on yeah tent and, and, and bed roll and yeah. you know, sleep on the side of the road. Slept at a so the, post the, office. The the sixty that happened. Did you work your way up to it, or was just like nope? I've been doing five and ten miles of ECU, and like now I'm gonna do sixty. Like that was how it was. It was very unplanned, and it's like yeah, I, I can probably do it. Yeah. Okay. So I'm. So it sounds like you weren't a couch potato before the cycling happened. Like you were doing, were you doing something? Ooh, actually, I was. I, I really was very much a couch potato from um, mid high school okay. to the moment that I got the bike. Yeah, I actually was. So um, you know, I, I want to say this in very much the nicest way, but I, I certainly was like large and yeah. and I wasn't eating healthily. I was not very active. Yeah. Um, I played guitar a lot. I was in school. Um, it wasn't, um, it's, I would be in, unrecognizable, I think, by most people who know me now. Okay. Um, because you brought that up, um, and you, you've done Trans Am, you've done a marathon, like, how do you feel? Like, if you can think about 2007, Brantley, and, like, how do you feel now? The first, I mean, I think most people would expect me to say something related to like the physicality of my, how I feel, Everyone but the, my first thing that. is actually that I am a lot less stressed. Okay. I think, um, you know, I was young, so I probably didn't have any real major health concerns. Yeah. Um, but I definitely feel like my blood pressure is lower, my stress levels are lower. Um, things like bright light don't bother me in the same way it's like okay. i think it's, i'm just much more even keel and okay. i'm not always even keeled so don't i'm not trying to paint myself in this, <laughs> this kind of like um idyllic description okay. but i definitely think that uh i can cope a little bit better and i feel good okay. generally because uh, I, I think as a young person i was anxious and yeah life was difficult and i i instead of just like drinking beer and sitting on the couch and uh playing guitar all day uh, and and like maybe not leaving my house i i i guess i medicate differently now yeah okay you still have a guitar i have many guitars but i don't play them very often anymore okay all right okay i wouldn't you know don't let that skill fade you know, so actually skill. i had to put this in record so in case i come back and listen to it again um <laughs> uh, everyone's favorite bike photographer grant fanning who many people know from uh mm-hmm. carrytown bikes has had one of like my favorite high school guitar um, was a Kirk Hammett signature model. The, he's a guitar player for Metallica. Uh, it's this gaudy guitar with skull inlays on it uh, in the, on the fretboard. But I, because I knew I wasn't going to play for a while, I let 
Grant borrow it semi permanently, and so I think he's, and been, he's still he's still been, got it. I think okay. he's been recording with it actually. Really? He, he seems to like it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, your your stuff is finding good homes elsewhere. Um, he's still he's still a rock star. I'm okay. I'm washed up. Okay. Um. <laughs> um so we got to, again. I won't say we got sidetracked with asking how do you feel, but I I tend to ask that later, like after someone's talked their story through. But but it but it came up here. Um, what kind of what kind of writing do you like to do? Like where are you at now with your, your writing you like to do? I, in a tongue-in-cheek way, I kind of describe myself as being retired. Uh, I certainly still ride bikes, but yeah. I, don't, I don't put in big miles anymore. Okay. Um, in part because I've found, I've, I've sort of, for the time being, closed that chapter and sure. opened a new chapter with running. Uh, there are a lot of advantages to running, and mm-hmm. I know that many of your listeners probably care more about the biking aspect of it. Okay. But, right. but I definitely... Um, I think for the long-term, like healthy appreciation of biking, I needed to kind of hang it up for a little while sure. and then come back to it. So I think I, I look forward to riding again. Okay. Um, and I definitely ride to commute, and I actually still love to get around Richmond yeah. and and some of the surrounding counties by bike because it is, it's such a joyous experience to go to a meeting that way instead of right. having to find parking or to fill right. up a gas tank and yeah. you get there feeling a little juiced up with endorphins or something. Right. And it's like I, I I recommend that to everyone. Yeah, and so I, I just think of that as being different. So I like I actually really look forward to the opportunities to be able to bike to a meeting. Okay, um, and there, are, I've I've met a number of people who um, they bike now and and biked when they were younger, but then there was like a ten year gap where they did not. You know, they came back. That to was me for sure. To, yeah, um, you know, and 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 you know, it's a bike. You always remember how to ride. So, but you said running, um, and of course you did the Richmond Marathon. Um, I did not do the Richmond Marathon. I have, wait, to, wait, I have to tell this one a lot because I um, uh, I work at, I work for sports backers who put okay. who produces the Richmond Marathon. Okay. So I'm there from 4 a.m. until about 6 p.m. that day. Okay, and I have two relatively long days the day before that. You know, moving barricade, uh, okay. putting the start structures together, moving water coolers, that kind of stuff. So I uh, it would be very much impossible for me to run, to run the Richmond Marathon while I still work for sports backers. Okay. Um, so I ran one in Raleigh the, the week okay. before, nice. uh, and it was a it was a nice just to kind of toot my coworkers' horns because uh, I mostly just lift heavy stuff. But mm-hmm. uh, the people who are really in charge of the marathon do a great job, and okay. I think that the the event is really commendable. Okay, um, so but you, you ran a marathon. How? Because um, this is my podcast, so I can ask. How long was that training <laughs> schedule to like? <laughs> To, was it like a one day I'm gonna run a marathon and like or was it? I recommend that nobody does that. <laughs> that's, a, that's a recipe for a failure, an injury. Um, I uh, so I, I did do the Richmond um, marathon training team. So okay. I okay. I I did a I I believe that starts in May or June. It's a okay. it's definitely like a, approximately six month training program. Okay. Um, that gives you a a weekly training schedule from the start all the way up until the middle of November with your, you know, it's, it's uh, period eyes, which I'm familiar with from mm-hmm. like bike, bike training. Yeah. And, um, with a solid taper at the end. And I, I just adjusted it a little bit to be on schedule for a different race. Okay. Um, and one of the cool things about that in, in particular is that it has the social aspect. Like I do a yeah. lot of training by myself and I have okay. basically since I got started, but mm-hmm. to have a group run with, and especially in this, like these dark times, um, to have a group run with anywhere from two to like 600 people yeah. uh, on a Saturday morning that starts from my office, which is kind of nice, um, is pretty awesome. Especially from like running, 
is hard. <laughs> running is pretty dang, it's just pretty darn hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there, and coming from a cycling background, there are things that I hadn't really planned for, like toenail care or <laughs> or like this thing that I've heard called red eleven, which is when your shirt chafes oh, your nipples. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's like, well, it's like it's not a problem until you get to like ten miles, and by that point, you're so invested, and you're like, you got to ask, like, hey, what do I do about this? And I, 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 I struggle with it in particular. So, um, <laughs> but I was able to overcome that that challenge for the to get the good race day marathon um, photo. I will, I will cut in here and and put this on air. Um, so. Um, my dad ran a lot, right? He ran, did a lot of the, the running stuff um, around the city and a couple of the marathons and things like that. Um, and um, I did um, the Climb to Conquer Cancer in 2018. And um, you've heard of the event. It's two climbs up Libby Hill. Um, and won my age category, right? Awesome. Right, won that category, right? Um, I'm telling this on air. Um, won the age category and, and somewhere somewhere in the ride actually no I was going to Osborne Turnpike because that's like you know 10 or 11 miles out from the end and I remember going into the restroom there at the Osborne Turnpike and go in the restroom and then I've got on the event jersey the green jersey and it's got the white panel and I see this little pink streak <laughs> and I'm like I didn't know that and I don't, I'm wondering if my friends that saw it and I just like come out the bathroom like super cool just like playing it off and then like do the ride and then win, and then there's a picture of me on the thing, and if you look close enough, you can see it. So it's just like in the event thing where it's like I've got the little streak, so I know what you're talking about. It can happen with cycling jerseys too, um, and I feel like, you know, it's just it's a bit embarrassing because now it's like it's in pictures, and occasionally I will tell people about it. But now, you know, either way, I won. I, at the time, I wasn't thinking about it, but then after, it was like, oh, that looks bad. So. So I've had a, I've enjoyed the learning curve. I feel like um, I, I was able to sort of put a hiatus to the riding side of things because okay. uh, uh, I've seen a lot, I've learned a lot. Like I, I'm looking, yeah. I'm curious. Like I, I, it's hard for me to satisfy the curiosity of of that experience. Okay. For the time being, I think I, I'm actually really looking forward to like what it'll be like in a few years. Okay. Um, your experience of like doing running and, and cycling and everything. Yeah, running is like I got all these challenges to figure out, and I like and like what kind of gear do I like, and where can I go, and I can go places that I can't so easily go with a bike because of all the right. accessories or the different yeah. terrains, or you know I can just get off a plane with a pair of shoes and and do some really cool stuff. Trail riding. Oh yeah. Marathons. Oh yeah. yeah. Well, I haven't gotten to ultra marathons yet. I'm just you know mo- like <laughs> like most saying. marathon runners, I stopped right across the, <laughs> the right across the line. But it is I think is very much in my future. Okay. Okay. Um, did the training feel easier or harder? Like, it just felt harder, right? Just because it was harder. Okay. One hundred percent. I I really have to give it to runners. Like there, it is hard. And because you, you, well, you can't coast. Temperature, <laughs> heat is is oppressive. Like the, mm-hmm. uh, running in August, there's nothing. I'm not sure I've done anything harder than running. Yeah. Just training runs in August. Yeah. I got overheated. I got hives. I got. I was able to deal with chafing pretty well, but yeah. Um, you get to the end of like a. 15 mile run you started at at 6 45 mm-hmm. and it was 70 degrees and 90 percent humidity yeah and then you're done and it's 85 degrees and 70 percent humidity yeah and it's like oh my gosh Ugh. just it's with the wind from biking uh i it was never that bad yeah because i think it's the other i think what i've heard with running is that it's it's 10 
imagine it being 10 degrees hotter. It's going to feel 10 degrees hotter when you're running. But if you're biking, it's actually a little cooler because you're moving through the wind a bit more. That's that's my impression of that. Um, and I've done limited running outside, and it's probably going to stay that way. Um, <laughs> but I've run on the treadmill very safely. Um, okay, so you survived the marathon. Where was the what was the event that you did? What was the name of the, the event? I kind of don't want to give it any any name recognition, only because it, I was not very satisfied with the event. Um, okay, so it, it's uh, it. I would have been satisfied with it had it been kind of a grassroots marathon, but okay. it was kind of a like a high level event and to Boston qualifier okay. and and they didn't have any nutrition on the course. And you think really? it's okay. twenty twenty one. Yeah. You think you'd know that. They yeah. advertised that they'd have it at certain mile markers and they didn't. And I was like so it was my first and at this point only marathon and I was kind of prepared. I brought a little bit myself, but okay. I did not bring enough for the you know, the yeah. several hours I was gonna be out there. And I spent the second half of it mad, like because I just wanted <laughs> some sugar. Come on, anything. I'll take a yeah. hamburger, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, so um, it's segueing back to cycling, right? If you're out on a ride, um, what do you want to have with you? What are kind of like snacks do you want to have with you? Oh, that's a great right? question. You, you know, I think I got started. Uh, I got started, and I have to give a lot of, of credit to some of my friends, really close friends who are. Uh, really good racers in my collegiate days. So the, the mm-hmm. VCU cycling team, um, I would say from like maybe like 2009 to 2012, maybe, you know, give or take a year on, on either end was really, they were, they were tight knit. They did a mm-hmm. bunch of races. They produced their own races and some of them have become, uh, you know, national caliber racers. Nice. Um, in part because the tutelage by coaches, um, Craig Dawson and, and mm-hmm. kind of our home base and around Richmond bicycle mm-hmm. studio, uh, which is no no longer around. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a really great fertile time for us to get into into riding. So I got I got kind of as a, a new racer, um, really steeped in gel culture, and mm-hmm. you know it was like Cliff Bars were getting really big at that time, and so I was like, oh, I've got to eat 200 calories every hour, and da, 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 da. Mm-hmm. and the longer I rode, the more I was like, I want a sandwich. <laughs> I would like I would like to stop and get a Coke. Uh, what a, I could probably get a milkshake. That's all right. And like, occasionally I'll have a beer at a stop. Sure. No problem. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so at, I, I think early on I started to strive for variety. I mean, I've had, I've had, I guess at this point, probably thousands of gels. Yeah. Um, and they are, they are very good at what they do, but okay. I would like have an orange juice or, mm, uh, okay. the occasional gas station pulled pork sandwich or something. Oh, wow. You know? You that's know, dangerous. get adventurous. <laughs> that's that's dangerous. Um, yeah, because that could that could go bad. You could find out that that didn't agree with you. I do um, have to say, probably the the one thing, like the one food that's like a regular food, yeah, that comes to mind is, and I eat a ton on the Trans Am, and I eat them now, mm-hmm. is um, peanut M and M's. They a, a, a share size is 450 calories, mm-hmm. which is about what you're burning an hour. It depends on how far you're riding, your weight, and all kinds of things like that. But it's about what you're burning in an hour. Mm-hmm. It generally doesn't melt in your pocket. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has a little bit of protein, a little bit of fat, lots of sugar, mm-hmm. and it's enjoyable to eat. It's not like yeah, like slurping down right. like maltodextrin or something. Right. Yeah, peanut. Even if somebody else uh, said they like peanut M Ms on a ride. Um, great for I, rest stops too. You give them in those little cups sometimes, right, yeah. and easy to serve, easy to serve. So start out with with gels. You were doing the the gels all the time. Um, 
and then peanut eventually like as peanut m&ms are the kind of preferred if i can only choose one thing yeah if i had to eat like 2,000 calories on yeah. a super long ride, and I can only choose one food. I think yeah. pe- probably peanut and M and M's would be the food. I don't what want 2,000. I don't want yeah. 20 gels. Uh, <laughs> that's like that's, indigestion waiting to yeah. happen. Yeah, <laughs> right. I think at most I've done three gels in a ride, but it was a you know it's a century I've done that many. Um, okay, um, so I understand you're you're changing your i won't say your career but you're you're pursuing writing a bit more now right we'll say that um but you're writing for a long time um like what kept you riding all that time that you were riding like why did you keep getting on the bike out yeah what were your reasons let's go with that for riding gosh i don't know where to start um i i definitely have to throw it back to the 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 cycling team Mm -hmm. my friend matt coon who's now the executive director for richmond cycling corps at the time was a very accomplished um cyclocross racer he um Mm -hmm. he and we're in cyclocross season now if you're not familiar it's Mm -hmm. basically riding road bikes with slightly bigger tires on dirt mud grass for an hour as hard as you can it's like a dirt crit um seems very technical it's very fun it's very fun to watch yeah um he was he was just shredding it at the time yeah and uh uh, now, I'm actually being reminiscent. I can't remember what your question was. Your question was... Um, um, well, what kind of... Um, uh, why do you ride? Oh, why do I ride? Right, yeah. Oh, why did I continue to ride right. like, why, as yeah, I got yeah, into yeah. it? Yeah. So the the uh, Matt Coon in particular would always tell me, go do this thing. And it would be something that's like super hard, like ride yeah. North Bank on my cross bike okay. or, or, or road bike, which he, yeah. was, he was known to do. Uh, and I would naively just do it and yeah. get way over my head yeah. and was just ter- I was just very terrible at yeah. bike racing for years uh, but I always knew that I wanted to get better I, like okay. I would go to our, the next race and I'd finish one place farther ahead or I wouldn't get a flat or okay. I would you know I wouldn't feel bad that day or something yeah and I definitely got hooked on that and the sort of the storytelling and the um, you know gathering around the campfire afterwards to say right. oh this went great this didn't work and yeah and all that and i have i had this this particular memory of doing what might have been the second or third devil's backbone ride okay uh it was well before devil's backbone was a uh that the huge complex that it is now was okay. a, a much have you been out there i have not oh gosh uh, so it's at the base of wintergreen okay um it's a it's one of the kind of larger craft beer places that's now been bought by i think anheuser-busch so it's um but it's it's like a resort they've got a huge stage they have a okay. huge restaurant they i think they have lodging now uh, like a nice kind of uh appalachian lodge that okay. you can basically roll out of bed go to a brewery listen to a concert go okay. skiing nice. uh, okay. i recommend going out there even if you're not uh, into beer but it's on um highway 151 that has like i think of it as being drunk driving alley uh, personally because there's a bunch of breweries and and cideries and distilleries but it's at the it's at the base of the blue ridge parkway and, okay. and wintergreen okay and devil's backbone ride was um four mountain passes with two gravel ups and two gravel downs okay uh and i was like it, i hadn't been riding a full year yet okay and i had just gotten my cyclocross bike and i go down the first gravel descent and i'm on the brakes going two miles an hour just yeah. like don't crash don't crash I love, very scared and uh, it took me i think an hour and a half longer okay. than the next slowest person 
and my friends were all waiting for me patiently at, at they had a restaurant to go to, which yeah. was, I guess, kind of nice. But I remember how embarrassed I was, uh, like, gosh, I did so terribly and my friend won. Uh, and that was Chris Jones, by the way, the national champion. Um, <laughs> and so my friend won and I came in last and had to walk up Vesuvius or like the last probably mile of Vesuvius. Yeah. And, um, had never ran in the mountains before. I'm on a cross bike trying to go down mountains on the like, you know, kind of knobby tires. It's, it's a complicated thing. And I knew gravel descent. Yeah. Two gravel descents, two gravel ascents. Um, and I, I just knew that I needed to redeem myself. Mm-hmm. And that, that honestly, that experience probably fueled me for the next five or six years. Really? Plus all the fun that I was having, you know, okay. I ended up, you know, being able to keep up with my friends and that was very nice. Challenged by that. So he's just like, okay, I'll keep, I'll keep going. I'll keep doing more of this. That seems ridiculous, uh, by the way, that ride. So it's a, well, it's well liked for sure. And, uh, especially from sort of the, the mountain biking and, and what you might now just call gravel riders. Yeah. But, you know, there wasn't really gravel specific culture back then. Yeah. Um, as I mentioned, it's a, well, either, I'm hoping that gravel happens for me. Uh, I'm kind of looking around at, at, at bicycles now. Uh, so I'm hoping that I can try some gravel out, uh, and maybe I'll consider that less ridiculous. So now's now. the time I would imagine if 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 um, Monster Cross is coming back, that's yeah. the one to. So Monster Cross is like half gravel, half cyclocross, and in, in that gravel is um, it's just a little bit punchier and is a short course. So okay. it it has kind of a racier feel than I would imagine most gravel stuff feels like. Okay. Um, it's not like like unbound or, or like it's not like a long point to point or giant okay. loop it's you're in the park the whole and pocahontas state park the whole time okay and that's a that was also one of the things that i did a lot that's a race right it's, it's a, a race a, but i mean it's a it's a race like a marathon isn't that okay that okay. you know there's all kinds of skill levels and okay. finishers and stuff pocahontas is pretty close it's easy to there's lots of riders out there uh and the fire roads generally are not technical there are some sections that can get like a little bit bumpy or something but or you might get to a creek crossing, but you can always just walk it if you want. I have some friends who ride out in, in Pocahontas quite regularly, um, doing gravel and mountain biking. Um, and, and one day, one day I will make it out there. Uh, I, a while ago, somebody offered me, I met a guy at, um, oh God, Amy had, um, Amy Williams had a fundraiser, not a fundraiser. It was like a celebration after I think the first, um, climb to conquer cancer at her house. And some guy who slightly had too many drinks, <laughs> was like, you know, I was telling him, like, I just rode bike. He was like, yeah, man, you can use my gravel bike. You're about my height, man. Yeah, just just let me know. You can just, I don't know who the gentleman was. And if he hears this and remembers the story, like, you know, reach out to me. But that was like, <laughs> I, you know, at the time, I was like, I don't know if I'd offer my bike to a stranger, you know. But that was very friendly of him to offer his bike, you know. Uh, but again, hopefully that happens at some point. I think that the the gravel scene is really interesting. I think on the very high end of things, it's getting co-opted by the pros and the UCI and, mm-hmm. and uh, USAC. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm, I personally am not crazy interested to, to watch like retired or kind of mm-hmm. like semi-washed up pro mm-hmm. or domestic ri- bike racers go kind of like stomp around in this otherwise like very creative, fun mm-hmm. bike scene. You know, they got to pay their bills. It is what it is. But on the local side of things, you got folks like uh, the Dirtbags 100 ride that yeah, is sort yep. of in and out of um, Outpost and... Um, the co- old coffee grinder rides that would you they would kind of stitch together all the gravel that you could find in the city limits. Mm-hmm. Um, in the old days, there were a lot more cobbled climbs too out in uh, Fulton Hill that we would do this. Um, I know that Roubaix ride. 
and a lot of them are, have now been paved out there so it's not you can't okay. you can't get all the bumps that you would normally be able to get there's still there's still one cobble street out there in Fulton Fulton yeah there's still one cobble street you have to go like behind the neighborhood back there there's mm-hmm. still one cobble street and it goes up to like an apartment community now it's awesome right there. yeah um, I've been up it twice and oh you're twice. ready to go then if you're doing these cobble yeah you got it Nah, I did 23rd Street once, uh, and that was just nerve-wracking. Did you do um, Conquer the Cobbles around the World Championships? I did not, but I heard about it. That was a fun one because it rained, and <laughs> if you don't have a lot of experience on cobbles, wet cobbles in particular, yeah, you don't really know what you're doing. And so I remember I was able to, I worked for Sportspackers who put the event on, but they let me, they cut me loose for a little bit to, okay. to ride right. it. Nice. And I remember going up it. And it's just like, you know, it's straight up. It's straight. It's yeah. pretty steep. Yeah. And I just see people crashing left and right in front of me. And it's just a wall of blinking red lights. And the, and then because the, we required lights. And so yeah. I just see red blinkies on every bike. Yeah. And it's also reflecting on like wet posts and wet cobbles and wet yeah. uh, mm-hmm. like the um, the like signage along the edge yeah. The, yeah. Uh, of the barriers. Mm-hmm. And it's just like blinking red strobes. And then... <laughs> And so I'm just picking my line around people trying not to crash. Uh, ultimately, I, I think everyone had a great time. <laughs> I guess. I believe overall that most people, but I, I think I've heard a few people tell me about the people, you know, crashing who, who were not experienced and had took the chance to ride on the, the course and, um, you know, took a spill there and on Libby Hill as well, which is, you know, I, yeah, I don't know if I do 20, I could do 23rd again, but it's, it needs to be perfect weather. Somebody's blocking the street at the top, like. <laughs> It's safe to come up there. You know, I won't even drive my car up there, really. Um, uh, so those are your, like, why you kept riding. Um, when did it go from um, I'm just riding to, you know, I'm, I'm helping out in the community? Like, when did when did that kind of, was there some thing that kind of segued into that? Or was it just like, I'm going to be involved like what happened well i think actually probably the those happened in reverse um okay i uh my career i guess as i got started um and i got focused on bikes was in the environmental movement and uh, i was a student organizer at vcu mm-hmm. uh, around the time that an inconvenient truth came out there was a there mm-hmm. was a big kind of national zeitgeist around climate change and sustainability and i helped convinced the university to start a sustainability program and then they hired me to be the bike person okay. uh, and so i didn't know what i was doing i was a, you know recently graduated and I, I i think they picked me to be the bike person because i bike commuted and i was, mm-hmm. I was the only one um so I, it was an opportunity to become an expert on those things and um then sports backers hired me to uh I guess be their second staff person at Bikewalk RVA, which was formed in 2012. So okay. it's not it's not a super old program, but okay. we we have been around for a while now. Um, so I, you know, I started racing while I was at VCU, okay. uh, but I think I really kind of really went off the deep end mm-hmm. around the time that I also went to Sportsbackers. Okay, so okay, all right. So those those consolidations happen, yeah, hand in hand. Okay, all right. Um, yeah, because I didn't know. I was very curious of when that when that happened like when you started to get more involved and just you know i'm just commuting from here to here but uh apparently like i said happened all together um okay um bike uh virginia bicycle federation you're currently the president i am yeah so uh and if we're gonna kind of like 
talk a little around. bit about yeah. the, the interplay of the advocacy side of things. Um, you know, Raba in particular has a has a, a storied past of, mm-hmm. of bike advocacy and leadership yep. around the state. Um, I guess it was over the summer that I took part. Maybe it was last summer. It's hard. These years are bl- are definitely blending together. But twenty twenty screws a lot. Of yeah, twenty ish something. Yeah. It's like, um, uh, I did the Raba ride of silence which was not in particular for bud but um mm-hmm. you know everyone knows bud and has a story to share um yep i actually i was the guy who probably was talking too much at that ride of silence and so if you're listening to this and you were the person who, who politely told me to shut up uh, i appreciate it and i'm and i comply um but i uh i have a lot of fond memories with bud uh, mm-hmm. I, I was a young nascent bike advocate very much wet behind the ears and and energized and you know kind of willing to to pursue any idea about why things could be better and all these things and and bud would would very patiently sit me down and say like state politics is really has is is what it is it has some challenges there has some kind of protocol you need to follow you have to think about what makes sense for each legislator and why they would want to do something and sometimes the fight is going to be a hard fight uh or and you have to listen to people get up behind it or get on the dais and, and, you know, like rail against you. It's like, yeah. it's, it's a, a frustrating thing, but, um, uh, Bud was the advocacy chair for, for VBF for a number of years. And mm-hmm. I think also for, uh, for Raba. Yeah. And, uh, champ was a former president of Raba and former president now for, uh, for VBF. Mm-hmm. And they did just, just tons of work. Uh, yeah, just, they had, they had a lot of time to give and they were very passionate and, um, I mean, made great strides. And so I definitely feel like I, over the years as a young person, you know, I'm kind of growing into my maturity in this role. Uh, I haven't always taken every opportunity to like recognize just how much work they and the rest of the board for VBF and, and yeah. Rama have done. And I, I have to give a shout out to uh, Cheryl Fanukin too, who, who um, was a safety chair for, okay. I think both for Raba and for VBF. Okay. But she was responsible for me becoming a League of America league of american bicyclists certified instructor uh like greg and and other folks and eric um definitely very prolific educators um so it was when it came time for champ to step down as president um i threw my hat in the ring and they you know they they gave me a vote of confidence i guess so uh it's been a little over a year now okay and we've had in that year vbf we got Two-thirds of the Bicyclist Safety Act passed, which is what you might call just the change lanes to pass requirement and allowing bicyclists to stay two abreast. Okay. Um, the safety stop became a study, and that is now sort of is pretty much wrapped up, but it'll go to the General Assembly before the next session. Okay. Um, the good news is that, and I haven't seen the final report, but from what I've heard and from the meetings that I was a part of, and you know, we wrote an official letter um, to go to the General Assembly as a part of that whole process. Um, Generally, the study group was favorable to okay. adopting something like the safety stop or the okay. Delaware yield. Okay. It wasn't unanimous, but it also wasn't, you know, there were no fireworks. So it ended up being kind of, I feel pretty good. Okay. Uh, That's good. We got, I think we got everything out of it that we could get out of it, okay. if that makes sense. Um, we did a, a membership drive that really increased our membership. And, and if you're a member of VBF, I, mm-hmm. on behalf of the board, I really want to thank you for, yeah. for your support because it helps us do the work that we need. Um, and if there's anything that we can do to, to incorporate your thoughts, you know, we're pretty accessible people. We okay. care a lot about it. Um, we 
at our last annual meeting, which was just a couple of weeks ago, we adopted a strategic plan that's not quite ready for public consumption, but we're going to, you know, pretty it up, put it in a nice PDF and sure. make sure that people can read it. We're really okay. proud of, of kind of putting our heads together and, and committing to something to do for the next few years that we can really get other people involved with too, okay. to make bicycling better for everyone in Virginia. Okay. Um, and if someone wants to get, get more involved, right, they want to go from, you know, I just ride my bike around to like, I, I want to help. Like what's, what suggestions do you have to someone who may want to, yeah, who just wants to, wants to help. They want to improve in their, their cycling community. That's a really great question. And I think it's the first step is probably different for a lot of people. Uh, you got um, a follow up question? Yeah. Notes to that. Um, I'm not expecting you to have like the perfect answer of how someone should get involved, right? Just yeah. the, your, your, your kind of best consideration, how someone might try to get involved. They are interested. Yeah. I th- yeah. I think I, that's okay. where I was going to okay. go with it. Um, you know, I, I wear two different hats now. I, I work for a bike and pedestrian advocacy organization that is locally focused. You mm-hmm. know, we're in the, the Richmond region, which we would say the sort of the Richmond metropolitan area and now increasingly uh, Petersburg and Colonial Heights as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have paid staff. We have um, we can dedicate a lot of time and resources to very hyper local things like the fall line or bike lanes or. Uh, local ordinances to lower speed limits, et cetera. Um, and part of what I do with my, my director, Louise, is we help you find a local meeting that will be really beneficial to go to, whether it's a hearing about a bike plan or if um, it's a great opportunity to meet your county administrator or mm-hmm. your the city administrator or um, a council person or a supervisor having a relationship with your local elected official is mm-hmm. like, is very key. I would say yeah. if you don't have that now, send them an email and see what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, just let them know that you're a resident and a bicyclist and you care about safety. See where it goes from there. I mean, okay. it, it really, it's like, it, it is, it's, it's simple. And part of what we teach at Bicycle RVA is some skills about how to, how to communicate your message effectively. Um, okay. Which is both u- using some of the right terminology and then it's also having a little bit of social intelligence to recognize that you would like for that person to feel good about the, the message that you sent so that they actually yeah. act in the way that you would like. Yeah. And then a lot of it is timing. It's like if you send an email saying we need a bike lane on this street and there haven't been any emails before that. Yeah. And there, it, that street doesn't exist in any kind of a bike plan. Yeah. Um, it's very much a, a squeaky wheel that you just kind of get push yeah, aside right so and i think a lot of people start there yeah and they get frustrated and they don't come back and they think advocacy doesn't work petitions don't work my elected official doesn't care and there's a bunch of compromise making that has to happen in order to um get any kind of improvement um, right. a, a, a supervisor in which is a, you know a local elected official in montgomery county maryland speaking at a uh, conference in uh, for uh, about vision zero which is traffic safety in DC told us a few years ago that he thinks that infrastructure advocacy is the hardest kind of advocacy because the timeline is so long, the cost is so high and whatever gets built won't satisfy everybody. And so because Mm -hmm. of the compromise aspect of it, nobody feels particularly good. Uh, Even if you get the bike lane or even if you get the, you know, the highway off ramp or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, I would say have some measured expectations and listen to the folks who've been there a little bit longer to help you 
weather the storm of the kind of inevitable feelings of defeat you might get, even if you're making progress. Okay. Um, the bike lanes added to Patterson, were those the latest bike lanes that were added? I don't think I, I don't think those are the latest. They're relatively new. Maybe a year and a half now, two years. Um, the ones by Patterson and Malvern. Those were definitely, those took, those had some robust community public engagement, I'll okay. say. And usually when you have robust robust public community engagement, mm -hmm. you will have folks on both sides. Okay. And oftentimes the side that is seemingly um, from a weaker position, just from like maybe a, uh, like a numbers game or, yeah. or whoever's got the kind of tone of the room will, could be motivated to go louder, more aggressive. And so mm -hmm. like, gosh, like our neighbor, it's nothing like a bike lane to make neighbors kind of like not Up send each arms, other Christmas yeah. cards the next year, you know? <laughs> um, and it's like, it doesn't have to be that contentious, but people, people feel the way they feel sometimes. No, it doesn't have to be, you know, there should be civil discourse about those things. That would be great. Model good behavior. That's what I mean. I, 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 we teach this, and Bike Walk RVA has done something like eight academies where okay. it's a multi week training program. And we've done them from in the old days, they would be eight weeks. Uh, we have we've learned to streamline and have made some maybe some some cuts on occasion uh, to make them a little bit shorter. Um, but we train volunteer citizen advocates to okay. just be a little bit more effective. So, like, how to, oh, okay. how to talk about biking a little bit more. Okay. cleanly uh how to bring people into the fold instead mm -hmm. of being right and then being wrong okay um how to organize your own group so a, a really um sort of notable version of this is bike walk north side is um a sort of neighborhood level mm -hmm. grassroots organization led by a number of our advocates and we can't you know claim a ton of credit about this jason james has been doing this for a very long time uh, he's one of the many people who's involved in that group. But uh, actually, we met back in 2010, I think, at the mayor, the mayor's commission on biking and walking that ultimately mm -hmm. hired Jake Helmbold, who's the bike head coordinator for the city. Um, we didn't know what we were doing. We were very unsophisticated at that time. We were volunteers and trying to figure out what the city could do to build you know, a bike lane. Yeah. Uh, and it's interesting to look back 10 and 11 years, and progress can be kind of slow, but after 10 years you can see the difference um pretty time. exciting yeah it's a, it's a long time to be working on stuff um so wait um so bike work rva you all um kind of prepare people to to be to be advocates is that the idea that is very much the idea so okay. uh, w it's a losing recipe or a, a a recipe that's that's doomed to fail if it's just me or my boss Louise going to these city council meetings yeah. or supervisor meetings, especially if it's in a place where we don't live, yeah. and we are speaking on behalf of people who are not there or not visible, or yeah. uh, it's a much better advocacy strategy. And um, I have to give uh, my former director Max Buchanan a lot of credit for kind of bringing this framework to us from Seattle. Okay. Um, that uh, a a large. Um, expressive and coordinated group of residents is is more likely to be effective right. and a, a, a great example of this is the brook road bike lane ban that was proposed in 2018 mm -hmm. um when we showed up to city council you know and this and after about eight or nine months of work on it like that's how long it had been continued and 
and we had a number of public meetings in the before the the ultimate showdown um about somewhere between 13 and 15 people showed up to oppose the bike lane okay and 60 to 65 people showed up to support it and when the supporters showed up you watch the jaws drop on the up on the dais yeah by the the city council members and they're like well we're not going to let people talk very long because we'll be here all night yeah and so this is not boiled down to a numbers game it's mm-hmm. not boiled down to we like them and we don't like them it, you know what you say is important the mm-hmm. project is itself is important and ultimately it would be best if there aren't any losers in the situation right but yeah. very rarely do you get consensus on anything that's that big yeah um in the grand scheme of things the 60 to 65 people were city residents they lived in the district yeah they could articulate really like legitimate talking points that we helped prepare for them but also were their thoughts not ours yeah um about the value of the traffic calming mm-hmm. of being able to bike to school of transportation equity for people regardless of what you can afford um and embodying those values and and those lifestyles uh we didn't have once people showed up we didn't have to do anything uh you know, eight months of work, and then the community did what they needed to do themselves. Good. I, I would, I would, yes, and hearing that explained, it does seem very much that having people who are a residents of that area, um, you know, speak to that more than, you know, someone from out of town kind of coming to speak to, to some local representatives. Um, so, yeah, I, that definitely makes sense. Um, it, does that, I guess I may ask you more questions about that later, about the, um, the, the advocacy. Um, particularly from teaching people to be better advocates, rather. Um, uh, jumping around, still uh, bike walk RVA related. RVA Bike Month this year was October. It is normally in May, correct? It is normally in May, which is a part of National Bike Month. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I mean, I think I already know the reason why. How come it was in October this year? Well, um, we... In, when Bike Month is, in, is normally in May, we start planning for it in February, March. Mm-hmm. And at that time, uh, we were getting the first news about vaccine rollouts. And mm-hmm. so we were thinking, oh, gosh, if we do it in May, very few people will be vaccinated. Mm-hmm. We, we're, we don't know what uh, to what volumes they'll be able to produce them and yeah. get them you know, distributed. And we don't know if people will take them. Yeah. At that time, we were very confident that everyone would. But at the same time, we... we you know, yeah. we've seen the dialogue over the summer. Yeah. Um, but our thought was it was a better shot to have a um, a more robust sort of like before times bike month. And I don't want to say that, you know, yeah. too specifically. Like we, the future is here. But yeah. um, we thought we'd, ha- we'd have, we'd be safer and more comfortable doing larger outdoor events um, in October. Mm-hmm. And the more we thought about it, we thought it'd be cool just to try something new. Sure. And to um, do a little bit of wordplay and an advocacy timing play okay. with the fall line. So okay. to be able to do fall line advocacy in the fall felt fun. Uh, we also were getting a hunch that we weren't going to be able to do the, the Virginia Credit Union Moonlight Ride in August and that it was going to be in October. Mm-hmm. And it just felt like having that kind of uh, high production value yeah. event. Um, which and normally we have uh, Dominion Energy River Rock and the I think it's also Dominion Energy Cap to Cap um, in in May is 
I hope I didn't get that sponsor wrong. Virginia I think that's Credit right. Union. Is it Virginia Credit Union? I think it's Virginia Credit Union. Is it? Well, they're, they're both been great supporters Captain of biking Captain. events. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So, having... Um, uh, it was nice to be able to have a shift from one month that has a couple of highly produced events to another. And let's be frank, October is an awesome time to ride bikes. Uh, leaves changing and cool weather. It, nothing is perfect, but like yeah. you know, we had some rain. We had some rain in May too. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. it was cool to try it out. Uh, it, it presents some challenges because uh, October is a time that a lot of people are starting to get prepared for the general assembly. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the things I did, I don't normally have October off, you know. So yeah, uh, I had, and and also September and, and the, the months leading up yeah. to it. Um, but it, it's really to to make it very little about me and much more about the three or four dozen volunteers that really show up night after night after night to make the events happen, uh, to get people to go to the events. Um, they have been incredible and adaptive. And I think, uh, we've got kind of a running working spreadsheet with all the volunteers nice. who are on it to contribute things. And we have about 3000 people who, uh, as the tally of people who really? were able to do o- over the five weeks. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, which is, which is 2000 less than 2019. Uh, and that was a big year. You know, that really? was like, we were like really hit big numbers that time. Um, and I think it was safe. There was nothing but yeah. positive stories. Some of the events were a little bit smaller. That's yeah. okay. You know, like right. it's always, it's always been a platform to have uh, very grassroots informal stuff on there. But yeah. we also had some really highly produced and, and highly attended events. Um, and really with the, one of the big, the outstanding new partners has been urban cycling group uh if they mm-hmm. haven't been on your podcast yet i would certainly recommend reaching uh, out to chiron hope is to uh i used to work with chiron at, at uh virginia no. career yeah okay no um before all um so yeah the plan is to to have chiron uh come on the, the be a guest at some point in time um but yeah i said to figure out the time which is the difficult part of all this is coordinating with <laughs> coordinating with people <laughs> um but yes um yeah ucg um i'm very glad they exist um at this you know, I, I you know uh, I'm very glad they exist, and yes, the point is to have them on the show at some point in time, you know, reference them from there. Um, uh, so, Bike Month, how many events are happening in Bike Month? I think we ended up, Roughly. the schedule had a little over 50, and some got rained out, some had a little bit of a, like, things come up, and, you know, if we if we get 90% of them that happen, I think yeah. is what we ended up having. Sure. So, I'll say conservatively 45. Okay. Uh, it feels okay. pretty good. Okay, that's <laughs> a good number. Okay, most days had something. Okay. Oh, for actually, uh, twenty twenty, we had COVID. Mm-hmm. We still have COVID. Um, how did that? I don't have COVID. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you don't have COVID. Um, how did like how did that close? That impacted all of us in some kind of way. Like how did that impact your your cycling life? Like your how did that how did that like weigh in on your 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 experience? That's interesting. You, uh, you had, I had been riding a lot. I, I, mm-hmm. I even when I got back from the Trans Am, um, I took some time off to heal, and then uh, it was just in time for me to kind of ride for a month and compete in the state championship for the time trial. Okay, uh, and won my category, which is not you know there were many people faster than me that day, but at least won my category, so that was nice. Nice. Um, and then I did some big, a, a few big you know hundred plus mile rides in that fall and then 
more or less I started to transition into running. I was like, okay. I started having fun with it. And okay. I have to, you know, I work with a lot of runners and so they're, they're good motivators for me to do that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. Um, so, you know, I'm in the general assembly towards the end of the 2020 session and we start hearing about this coronavirus thing and we're all getting worried and, um, uh, you know, lockdown happens and I just kept running. <laughs> really, okay. and I had lots of time to do it. Yeah. And Sportsbackers um, launched several events in 2020 to try to stay relevant and mm-hmm. you know we had to really pivot around some of our events that couldn't happen like the right. the at least in the normal sense like the the monument avenue 10k and stuff so we had to go plan new routes and we had to try mm-hmm. new things out so it's like i got to kind of run during work sometimes which was nice um okay so but you know this isn't so much about the biking side of things it's, other than yeah. we did have a virtual bike month in 2020 mm-hmm. and That's it right. was very clear that people we're hungry for riding bikes. They've like, yeah. we got to get out of our apartments. Like, yeah. This is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I, I, you know, I, I did join some rides in, in May of 2020 and had some, had some fun riding. Okay. Uh, but then later that year, uh, in my very new role, um, with VBF mm-hmm. went to the general assembly to do some, mm-hmm. some, let's call it uh, candidate education and issue education okay. around the bicycle safety act. And it had been clear over that year that, bike riding was through the roof like yeah. bikes were selling out everywhere the yeah. bike industry around that time and i haven't gotten an updated number but the, i think it's still probably pretty relevant uh the bike industry um claimed that uh bike sales increased 120 percent. so it's more than doubled okay in 2020 because demand went up so high and because people couldn't go to the gym yeah. like so like the only health that it could get was, was Doing biking outside. and walking and running. Mm-hmm. And I think that's to some degree, that's urban cycling groups story mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. they had to get, they couldn't do the team sports that they were, had liked doing. And so they figured out a way to turn bikes into a team sport, uh, which I think is just a, just wonderful and should be shouted from the rooftops. Um, so that I think was very impactful to the general assembly to say, yeah, bike safety is going to be really important because people really so many are riding, people. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, uh, you know, my peer, um, good friend and sort of, you know, just overall, um, uh, cult of personality, uh, cat Anthony from the Virginia, mm-hmm. um, Capitol trail foundation. Yep. Uh, they have counters on the Capitol trail. And so they were able to, quantify some of the data yeah, nice. uh, yeah. of of ridership and they saw 300 percent increase in some places and like in the busiest sections like yeah. almond creek which is the like near vulcan and the the rocket mm-hmm. rockets landing climb. yeah 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 that's um yes i saw way more people out on the trail more families out on the trail which was fantastic to see that many more people out there um so that was that was great um i will say that was probably from a personal standpoint a motivation for me to get out in the woods, like as far as I could go. <laughs> really? Yeah. So like I did a lot of running at Pocahontas state park. Okay. Um, uh, now that I live in Petersburg on Petersburg national park and, or battle Petersburg national battlefield. Okay. And so, yeah, I was a little bit more motivated to just be, I wasn't worried so much, you know, I was following the science about transmission and it seemed like yeah. being outside is not a problem. Mm-hmm. We brought in some health experts for bike month that year to say, just kind of be separated, you know, don't yeah. share handlebars or whatever. And, uh, but you know, a little extra can't hurt. And so like, I just went out into the woods and ran ran out there. Okay. Do you prefer solo riding and running? I think generally I do. Okay. Yeah. It's very meditative, um, contemplative. And if something goes wrong, I don't have to worry about someone else, you know, in terms of like, uh, 
like if a flat tire and I don't have the added pressure of someone now also watching me change my flat tire, or I can just do it <laughs> on my own. Uh, not not yeah. that I have anything to prove or like I'm yeah. not that I'm particularly bad at it. It's right. just more like you don't want to I, can ro- I just like can march to the beat of my own drum a little bit. Okay. All right. Um, but prior to 2020, you did a long bike ride. I did um, a long bike ride. Uh, Trans M bike race. Um, what was the thought process to get you to doing that? Like what was like, did you hear about it? And like, what was the, what made you do it? Probably lots of things. Uh, I will start with the, going back to the humility and to say that I was never a very good bike racer. Okay. Um, you can, you know, for, I don't know if the camera's still on, but I've got a little scar right here. I see. Yeah. I ended up on the cover of style weekly when I crashed, uh, in 2014 in, um, sort of dramatic display in front of the courthouse the the year before the world championships the organizers brought the collegiate national championships and they had an open race so i raced in a, a crit okay uh as a non-college student um right in downtown it's a super cool course on franklin yeah. street and broad street nice um and i crashed at the beginning of lap two uh mm-hmm. it's sort of a long story i went into a corner too hot yeah i was probably a little bit anxious like i hadn't kind of gotten the jitters out yet yeah but i I'm always late. This is something that everybody in my life knows about me. I'm a late person. Uh, and so I'm, I'm late to the race, and I didn't change my back wheel for my race wheel. So I had my training wheel on, and okay. I learned that day that that was not a very grippy tire. So I'm going through the kind of paver sidewalk, mm-hmm. and I just feel it go out. Um, Ooh, and okay. I hit the barricade in the corner. Yeah. The barricade opened okay, uh, like it wasn't closed. Yeah. Yeah. And so I hit the, the end, like, like you know... Um, I didn't hit a broadside. I hit the end yeah. of the barricade with my cheek. Um, went over and um, this is just one example. I, I'm, not, I'm not a super crash prone person. I didn't crash very much, but I also was not the most, like the boldest of bike racers. Okay. Uh, I was more conservative in my line choices and mm-hmm. and dive bombing corners. You know, like I was I, I was choosier about that kind of thing. Uh, but I. In all my failings as a crit racer or road racer or, God forbid, cyclocross, mm-hmm. um, I had a little, I had a middling success here and there. Sure. I had, I had a good day here and there. But um, I knew, or I, 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 after a couple of years, I realized on training rides that my friends and teammates all got tired before I did. Okay. Uh, and then I started racing time trials. And I was like, wow, I actually like am okay at this. Okay. Uh, and I, I think from my, both from a, mental standpoint and from a physiological standpoint mm-hmm. i'm better at going long hard steady okay. than i am at punchy and like okay. uh um uh aggressive cornering in particular like i'm not like a i'm not a daredevil okay and i you know i wasn't a team sport person i was a couch potato guitar player for most of my life uh until then and so i, I think maybe i just didn't develop some of the balance stuff that okay. that like lifelong athletes have right. i'm de- i definitely think of myself as being kind of a adult onset athlete and i have some you know i'm cautious i mean yeah. and cautious you can't you know rare or is a good athlete particularly cautious cautious. Is good. um so it was like well yeah i'm going to pursue the thing that i think i might be okay on and okay. then i just kept going longer over yeah. like a long enough timeline okay um and then you, so so then you're just like i can the trans am bike race was like the the the, the culmination of that kind of well thing. then uh so I, I remember when Lael Wilcox won in 2018. Okay. Or was it 2016? I think it was 2018. Um, she 
one overall. So okay. she was a lady who mm-hmm. won the whole race, and that's pretty rare. You know, yeah. I, they they do say the longer the event in ultra running and ultra bike racing, there's a bit more parity between the genders. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, which was just, but it was just cool to see. Like it was, it never happened before. Yeah, and the Trans Am bike race comes right to, on the Capitol Trail, mm-hmm. so it's like it was home. And I got super inspired to see it happen, and um, it was 2016. I remember now. Okay. Um, so that was a couple of years before I saw it, and then I think it was the two years before, so the year after, Mike Hall was killed, and he was the original. Mm-hmm. He won the first one. Yeah. And he was a legend of the sport of ultra racing, um, and he did ultra mountain bike racing. He, I guess, he set the record on the Tour Divide. He set the record on the the trans am and the transcontinental which is the european version yeah okay and they're all a little bit different he was killed doing a similar kind of race in australia hit Mm -hmm. by a car um which is just crazy like and and i'm I'm personally very motivated and this is a conversation for another time but yeah when exceedingly skilled bike racers are killed by drivers it's like who do you think did it uh bike rate you know ultra racers can get fatigued we sure. can all make mistakes. I've made mistakes, and yeah. I've you know been fortunate. Um, but generally, I'm pretty compliant, and generally, I'm pretty skillful. While I may not be good dive bombing a corner with a uh, in a crit, I I think I share a skill that other bike racers and and particularly ultra racers have, which is being able to interpret what cars are going to do. Yeah. Um, and I'm more likely to crash into another bike racer than I am into a car, just okay. based on my personal experience. Okay. Um, but so Mike Hall, tragic, and, yeah. and uh, Leo Wilcox, amazing, and uh, the fact that it um, happened so close to home. Yeah. And then I had in 2018 probably my best year of bike racing um, at that time. So I was like super motivated in 2018. Mm-hmm. And when the winners were coming through, I had, I honestly kind of like, I had a lot of fitness. I had been putting a lot of time in, and then I had an impulsive decision. I'm just gonna. I just announced it a year out to my friends. I'm gonna do this in a year, and then yeah. I had to do it. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, I spent a year learning the course and learning how to ride hard okay. over a long distance and continually setting new kind of milestones. Okay. And uh, got a new coach who was very helpful. Okay. So you did it. Okay. Yeah. I was gonna ask if you got a coach for that. Okay. I've had coaches since 2011 or 12. Really? And I've had I've had three. And I've liked them all. Okay. Um, it's been nice to mix it up on occasion because like they have their different styles. And I do think I kind of leveled up each time, but sure. th- th- nothing against anyone in that, in, in that statement. Different. Sure. But um, I definitely went for more of a long format analytical coach mm-hmm. for my, my, my Trans Am preparation. Okay. Um, so you, what did you take with you on that ride? Gosh, I don't have a long enough time. Enough time. Oh. Uh, it's interesting. I didn't, you know, I, I certainly left a lot of things. It was, okay. I, it's, it, you might call it ultra light touring, right? As, yeah. as the way that I raced. Um, so I had a road bike. Uh, it's an endpoint. So mm-hmm. you, many people are familiar with that brand, of, sort of based out of Outpost. And it was just a, a steel road bike, endurance kind of road bike with disc brakes and a carbon fork. And they were nice enough to give me a fancy paint job. Mm-hmm. Um, and. Frame bags. So like just your regular old bike packing frame bags. They're off the shelf yeah. ones. I, I consider getting some custom ones and a an old friend who I think is now in Asheville um, makes them here and he was from Richmond. So okay. uh, the company's called Alpen Glow. So I was thinking about getting uh, okay. custom ones, but I just got Revelate um, frame bags. 
and it was a sort of a half frame bag on the main part and then a big saddle bag on the back and then yeah. a couple of small ones. So I didn't have a burrito and I didn't have, which is the, you know, the wild front. front. Yeah. Um, uh, just a, they call it a gas tank. So like one near the, behind the stem. And oh then yeah. A, yeah. Another one in front of the seat tube, which is basically the, like a, an alternate gas tank. That was, yeah. so I had one for things I needed to grab near the handlebars, mm-hmm. um, phone charger, some nutrition would be in there. The one near the seat, tube would be basically all my mechanic stuff so if i needed to grab something i knew exactly where it was okay uh the frame bag would have a layer like a a jacket or something or a vest um uh most of my calories that i needed to have access to um glasses uh money Mm -hmm. pump um the things that i would need on a like on a daily basis yeah would go in there and then the all my extra layers some technology stuff, uh, my bivy sack, which is basically, uh, it's bivouac is, um, most, what is the full name, but okay. most people are familiar with it as, uh, like a, a survival. Okay. Uh, it's like a sleeping bag meets a rain jacket. It's a, it's okay. a, it's a, it's like a trash bag that you can yeah. fit your entire body in. Okay. Uh, it's low frills, no yeah. frills at all alternative to a tent. Okay. Um, so I had a, a bivy. Yeah. And a sleeping pad, an inflatable sleeping pad. And I learned from Mike Hall that uh, you need a sleeping pad. I would have not done it. I, I, I would have figured I'm going to be so tired sleeping on the side of the road. I don't need comfort. I'm going to be out. I'm not going to worry about that. Yeah. I don't need to have the, the extra yeah. thing. Yeah. The thing is, it's way colder than you would expect. Mm-hmm. And uh, if the ground is cold, then you won't. Not, not only will you not sleep, but you're like going to have to worry about your body temperature. Yeah. So I did bring that as an insulating kind okay. of layer. So yeah, I brought pretty minimal clothing. I brought uh, two pairs of socks. One was wool. One was not. Um, funny enough, I actually still wear that, those socks. Really? Uh, they got they have thousands of miles on them now, but um, they were good. Okay. One pair of leg warmers. One pair of arm warmers. A rain jacket. Uh, I had another pair of of arm skins like the like sun protection ones yeah because mm-hmm. uh, i was worried about cooking in the desert yeah um and a base layer okay. and a jersey that was it one jersey one jersey and i actually swapped it out halfway through really uh, so cutaway uh which is a virginia-based uh clothing bike cy- cycling clothing company yeah um made some kits for me which and they they were one they were just amazing and they let me uh, choose the different fabrics on different panels. So I was like, oh, okay, for this one, I want aerodynamic shoulders. Nice. Uh, and for the next one, I want it to be um, the most wicking thin material that I can get. So I actually, I don't, I don't know if it made any difference at all, but it was kind of cool. <laughs> you got it. Yeah, it was cool to think to about uh, that. I in the hot section, I want more breathability, and yeah. in the first section, I mm-hmm. want and potentially the windier section. Yeah. Uh, aerodynamic. Okay. Panels. Um, yeah, it was. It was. There were times that I wanted more clothing. Yeah, and there were there were times that I wanted fewer things in my bag. So yeah. I think it ended up being a good compromise. <laughs> okay, um, and I looked through the pictures um, that you sent, um, and of course the food sticks out. Um, just I ate so much food, and I, I Instagrammed it a bunch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> were you just like just eating? Well, I mean, of course I saw the picture. I'm guessing. What was the food like? Were you just eating snack food like the whole time? Like, okay. Any opportunity I could eat a vegetable, I yeah. would. And it was pretty rare. I have to say, if you've never been through middle America, yeah, 
there just aren't a lot. And even before my um, the race, I anticipated this being a tour of America's forgotten gas stations. And it's very much what it was. Yeah. Uh, and I wasn't near populated areas for most of it. Um, and so you go into a gas station and they have fried chicken sandwich or they have a hamburger. And if you like you, I would, it, I think it'd be impossible to do this as a celiac. Like you just, how would you get <laughs> calories? They're just like white bread buns and hamburgers everywhere yeah. in the middle of America, which is, it was a, it was a very cool, very fast, hard, anthropological study for sure okay. you know um but yeah and it's any chance i could eat real food i ate real food and sometimes i would leave a gas station with three hamburgers like i'd eat one and have two in my pockets really um because you need to get i mean sugar calories burn off crazy fast yeah uh and you know you go out and do a two-hour ride and you have a little bit of sugar you're you don't really realize that you have spiked in that time. Okay. But when you are depleted of glycogen, like your actual internal energy, yeah, yeah. and you're just going on with whatever is in your stomach, you, which happens, you know, after about two hours. Yeah. Uh, and you're, you, you have 12 hours left to go that day. Uh, it's only what you got in the tank. And so you need stuff that burns fast and burns slow so that you can be consistent. Or other, because you get to a point at mm-hmm. the end of the day where you go from having food in your blood yeah. to not having any. And it's just... Like that. And really? you're like, I have 60 more miles to go today before the next door. And it's like, so you better have 2,000 calories on you, you know, just to have. So you knew where all the store stops were going to be roughly? Or did you just... I had done a lot of preparation for okay. that. Okay. I did not... I knew to be flexible enough that things were not going to go to a specific plan. Okay. That I had to be able to know where every store was. But I knew where a lot were. And I, I knew where they were when it was important. Okay. Uh, meaning like... There's a, like there's a place in Idaho where you have 125 miles of no stores, okay. so you gotta you gotta make sure you have your stuff. I knew okay. that I was gonna try to make it at least 100 miles without stopping from the start. Okay. So I did that. Um, I think I stopped at 110 or something. Um, uh, okay. So yeah, it, it was very much like stopped time is is the is how you lose the race. Yeah. More how was how the time not riding? Yeah. Mm-hmm. For any reason. Whether it's putting on sunscreen or taking off a layer or running out of food or, you know, mechanical stuff, you know, uh, I had, I was pretty good on the mechanical side of things. I w- in the moment at times I was very frustrated. Like my disc brakes were rubbing cause they were dirty. Um, I had a thousand miles of listening to my disc brakes squeak cause they were rubbing <laughs> a thousand miles. That would, that would <laughs> and, I, and I texted Braden. I was like, Braden, I think my disc brakes are messed up. How, what can I do? And he's like, spread them open with a butter knife. Then I'm like, I need something better than that. I'm frustrated. <laughs> uh, it's like a, just a moment. And right. <laughs> that's, that sucks. Um, I don't deal with them like for like five miles squeaking. Um, um, so it's your nutrition. Like, okay, where'd you sleep? Um, a variety. I had planned to sleep on the side of the road as much as I could. One, okay. because getting in and out of a hotel takes time. Okay. Uh, it also, I didn't want to get too comfortable. Sure. And, um, you know, it's a cost-saving kind of measure, okay. too. But when I got out there, I started realizing, gosh, it'd be nice if I could spend four hours in a motel right now. Uh, and I also, after having, I think, one or two hard nights in terms of the logistics, yeah. you basically ride as long as you can, and then you try to stop immediately. Yeah. The problem is... If you have to make a choice between stopping in five miles or stopping in 35 miles, yeah, you have to make sure that there's going to be someone in that hotel. Because the thing is, like out west, uh, in the low pop- populated yeah. areas like Idaho and Wyoming, you can get to a hotel and, it's cl- and there's no one there. Yeah, like if they're if they're 
they like the ho- the hotel keeper right, goes to sleep. Going, yeah, you know. <laughs> and so I started being a little more prepared and saying I'm going to make it to this one so that they know that I'm coming. Okay. Um, and at one point in Illinois, I re- I rode through a midnight thunderstorm, and I didn't get to the hotel till 4 a.m. And like thank God I had. Well, I, well, one, I probably rode by a motel at some point that I would have preferred to have stayed yeah. in. Uh, and then, but because I had prearranged it and, yeah. you know, all like, from my phone while I'm yeah. riding. So yeah. it's like, you're kind of limited to what you can do. Uh, gosh, I went, I, I, I can't imagine what I looked like when I wrote, rode in there. Uh, I had a hard time getting into their parking lot. Like it was dark and like, it was like a, you know, kind of suburban development. I couldn't see where the curb cut is. So okay. I rode through the grass, but it had been raining forever. Like okay. the Mississippi was flooded and yeah. all kinds of things. And so like I get mired in grass and I'm like stuck and muddy and like, gosh, I'm in, I'm in road shoes and cleats. And so, yeah. uh, I'm like, I just I had to have looked a mess at 4am wet, absolutely, totally wet, right. dirty. <laughs> what a, uh, I would love to have true, a picture a of that. Sight there. Um, so would you, like how much sleep were you putting in? Were you just like I set a timer and like you just like what was was there a red like so you you show up or you sleep on the side of the road? Did you like set a timer? I'm gonna sleep like three hours, four hours, five. I hours. shot for three to four hours most nights. Okay. Um, I failed to do that a fair amount though. So like okay. I would sleep for five or seven on occasion. Okay. I think maybe I slept for seven like twice. Okay. And I was like real mad at myself at that okay. point, but like. I never really pushed myself to that limit before. I think if I went out and did it again, and maybe I will, maybe I won't, but um, yeah. if I went out and did it again, I would be able to manage the sleep thing. That okay. was that and the blizzard in Montana were the things that I was not prepared for, and I you probably didn't handle as well as I could. You weren't prepared for the blizzard? I, w- I was not prepared for the blizzard. You can't really be prepared. Yeah. No, yeah, <laughs> um, okay, but like... Did you like set an alarm or something like when you I was yeah on my phone is the only thing I could do yeah okay all right I never I never had any trouble with it not going off as far as I could tell and I would set like four you okay. know so it'd be every like yeah. two or three yeah. minutes and yeah. like I'm peeling myself off the ground in a park in Colorado and uh, like gosh I'm back at it uh, you can imagine your 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 body kind of fights your desire to get up at that at that time okay so um, I understand it took twenty two days. Two hours. Twenty-two days. Two yeah. hours. Yeah, yeah. Um, two hours. Yeah. Um, with one zero day. One zero. Really? Mm-hmm. Where was that at? That was in the blizzard in West Yellowstone. Oh, right. Okay. Okay. Um, I just I literally got out of bed twice uh, for about twenty-four hours. Maybe yeah, about twenty-four hours. Uh, that I was after a very harrowing experience riding through a blizzard to get there. Uh, I thought I I did actually think that I was going to die for a minute. Um, how? I probably was not in any real danger of it, but it was definitely in my head. Right, yeah. I would see a car every 20 minutes. If someone would have seen me on the side of the road, I'm sure I would have been okay. But I definitely thought, like, I know my stuff. My core temperature got low. Yeah. My head yeah. was getting dark. It The sun went down. It had been snowing on me for four hours. Uh, I was like, squ- I, was, I had been squeezing my fingers and squeezing my toes in my shoes yeah. to just get blood flow. To <laughs> I, I didn't even care if they hurt. I'm like, they're going to hurt. I'm not worried about that. Yeah. I just don't want to lose my fingers and toes. That's, and I'll just keep, I've just got 34 miles to go. Okay, we got it. Yeah. And, and those were very slow miles. <laughs> <laughs> but you made it, you know? You know, eventually. I, I honestly, in hindsight, it would have been a better race strategy to have stopped earlier okay. and to have had a more solid day the next day. Okay. Um, but Wesley Olson was technically closed. Okay. And I, I didn't want to get in there and get stuck. Like if I crashed on ice yeah. in West Yellowstone in a closed park, 
no one would have come to find me for hours and hours and hours, like maybe yeah. the next day. Yeah. And th- the day before in Jack- Jackson, Montana, the innkeeper at this bed and breakfast, um, that actually a few folks say at the same time as me, um, says that every year people die in there. And so I was like, well, <laughs> Ryan's on the wall, you know, like I'm going to, I'll take a zero day and not die. And yeah. so that's what I did. But I got passed by several people in okay. time, which meant that for two weeks I was pretty unhappy about that. I was in fifth and I had, you know, finished 11th so, or 12th, something like that. Okay. So you set up riding and let's say you've ridden for, you know, two, three days straight into this thing. Like where was your mind at? I was feeling great at that point, by the way. Really? I was in race mode. Absolutely. Really? I was like, you know, you're still, was, still committed two, three days in, you were still two or three days. In, absolutely. Okay. So okay. I rode basically through the night, the first night. Um, I slept for about an hour on the ground, uh, almost up McKenzie pass. And we didn't actually do McKenzie. We did Santiam. There were two major detours this year, that year because of snow on McKenzie pass in Oregon mm-hmm. and the Mississippi flooded, uh, okay. meant that we had to cross a different bridge in okay. Illinois. Um, and that was kind of funny because the the bridge crossing in Illinois, the bridge that I did cross had standing water on it. Like I was basically in the river, uh, okay. going across this bridge, but it was only a few inches deep. Um, but it's in the middle of the night, yeah. Cape, uh, the little town of Cape Girardeau, I think is what it was called. Um, I'm riding through standing water on a bridge and this standing water as far as the eye can see. So I don't know how right, deep how it is or where I'm, I'm riding the yellow line. Cause like, at least there's going to be a road here. Yeah. Uh, there, I'm sure that most of the time they were like, you know, walls to the bridge yeah, or whatever but yeah. still it was crazy still concerned, yeah. and at two in the morning and it starts raining on me so the only light around me is my headlamp yeah and my headlight yeah casting crazy light with like forest gump water coming up it's coming down and then splashing back up and so it's like these strobes everywhere it's like it's like tracer bullets everywhere yeah. i'm looking around yeah. and then i get to the other side of the bridge i'm in illinois i turn left on this highway and it's more of the same generally and the only traffic out there is tractor trailer traffic so like it's only it's quiet or it's not right it's peaceful or it's scary yeah and there's frogs everywhere really <laughs> it's like okay. felt, felt like <laughs> biblical and that was that was the night before i made it in the 4 a.m to the like the holiday end that i made it to um so the so the okay first night you you first day you rode through the night um how many miles did you put in that first day do you i recall? think it was 265 really it depends on kind of where you so I had a lot of trouble with my Garmin, okay. uh, and, and to some degree, like I, the Garmin did fine. Yeah. We were pushing the limits of what the thing was designed to do, right? Yeah. So after um, 200 miles, I found that the good threshold was I needed to restart my activity. So I was trying oh. to have an activity per day, okay. but if I rode more than about 120 or about 200, and really, you know, it started to be a little more finicky, probably around 150 or uh, okay. or beyond. It just had too much in the file. Okay. And it was kind of getting, it would lag. And so okay. I, I literally, I went off course day one, like right at 200 miles because I, it didn't have the processing capacity or something, to, to the memory yeah. to tell me the turn that I needed to take. So I immediately get a text and it's against the rules, but Max, my old boss, text, hey, you're off course by a couple miles. Yeah. And I was on a parallel route. So it wasn't like a, a super big deal. Yeah. Um, and I got back on course. It wasn't it wasn't that big of a deal. But I learned that I needed to restart my activities a lot. And so then I had to determine how many miles was it. Where do you draw the line? It's really right, one yeah. big bike ride. But yeah. so it was it was approximately two sixty five. Okay. It um, wasn't my longest day. It was my second longest day. What was your longest day? The last one. Really? Three hundred and twenty two miles in one go. 
So that's like a day and a few hours. Wow, that's. Yeah. I didn't sleep the last night. Okay. <laughs> when I was close, when I was home, I knew the roads. Right. Yeah, you're ready to ready to to, to get home. Um, I would imagine. Um, saddle sores. Never got a saddle sore. Really? I, I have to. I have a few, a few uh, things to credit for that. Okay. Great bibs. Okay. Uh, you know, I, I think Cutaway makes great stuff. Yeah. Uh, and the and one they make great stuff, but you know, like there are only so many kinds of chamois in the world. They just <laughs> they choose the right chamois. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Uh. But preparation. I mean, like I spend a lot of time yeah. on my saddle in preparation for it. Okay. Um. And I was very liberal with chamois cream. I okay. Mean, just crazy, crazy liberal with chamois cream. Seems like um, a good strategy. Yeah, I'm a chamois butter. I'm a, it's my it was my well, was my brand. I'm more of I'm a buttonhole brand now because it smells nice. Yeah. But um, yeah. I mean, I was I felt very fortunate. I had all kinds of pain. Don't don't. Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, don't get me wrong, but uh, and honestly, I had like seat pain, but yeah. it was never it never became a hard yeah, yeah, like bump. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just had pressure sensitivity, but I, and I would like hang off the side of my saddle on occasion or something or like. <laughs> Or get out of the saddle a lot because, like, I just didn't want to be on my bike chair anymore. Right. Um. So, you do the riding, um, sleeping, the eating, um, at what? So, a couple days in, you're still good. You're still motivated. You're still you're still race mindset. I wasn't super race mindset. Like, who's in front of me? Who's behind me? What's the mile differences? Okay. Uh. Right until I spent the second night in the ho- the same hotel, okay, in West Yellowstone, and it's like at that point the race was basically over. Like okay. the race had continued to go on, and okay. and it, well, we also knew that see, uh, that yeah. um, that the leader was going to be like he was just so far ahead that no one was going to get yeah, to catch him. Um, so what what was the thought then? Like when you when you were like it was confirmation you weren't going to be first that kind of thing. Well, I still wanted. I my main goal was actually. Uh, you know, I, I had designs to get like on the podium. Like third place would have been like a life achievement of mine yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, and that would have, in most years, that have been like an eighteen day mm-hmm. thing. Um, it's like okay, eighteen days is my goal. And what that would have allowed me to do, in hindsight, this was so impractical, it never could have worked. But I announced the Trans Am, and then a few months later, a good friend of mine from college was going to get married towards the end of June that month, and I was like. <laughs> get back for the wedding yeah and so i needed basically needed like 18 days to be able to do it yeah um and that didn't end up working out but uh it did give me motivation to keep doing the math to keep getting as many miles in every day as i could i never got complacent i never okay. got lazy i never wasted time uh um that i could have otherwise not you know so i i feel like i there were moments where i was inefficient but it was because i was i was like just cooked it wasn't yeah. because i was like I don't need to keep fighting for it. I mean, yeah. I if I could have gotten tenth place, I was I was going to go for it. If I could have gotten ninth, I would have gone for it. Yeah. Um, and I, I caught people. I caught three or four people in the park the, the day that I did get back on in there, and that, so they had kind of drifted. Yeah. They had used that entire day to catch back on. Okay. And then I got them in the park, and it felt great. I was back to racing right then. Like I like I remember. Um, and actually, a good friend of mine now, Jen, who is I think the second place lady of the of that year. Um, I passed her pretty decisively on a descent, yeah. and I felt like, yes, I got it. <laughs> I'm still here. And I, so, like, I you, you never know what's going to happen. All those people who passed me that day, yeah, um, could they, you know, they could have burned it too bright. They could, yeah. they could crash. You, you just the race was still on. I just knew that third place in 18 days weren't going to happen. Yeah, 
Okay. You still you still had your head in the game. I was racing until the last day. So, and this is like there's a lot of stuff that I could talk about in the middle of the country, but in terms of race impact, the the most decisive thing that happened towards the end of the race, like I didn't change position for a long time. Yeah. But Matthew from Australia was always within like 15 to maybe maybe 100 miles behind me. So like yeah. a closable distance of, yeah. over the over this kind of race. Uh, if you just lose a couple hours here and there, like someone will catch you that way. Yeah. Um, he caught me in Mineral, which is just you know 50 yeah. miles west of here, mm-hmm. um, at a gas station, and his GPS was either lagging or he had turned it off, which is you're not supposed to do, but it happens, I guess, in this race. Yeah. It just be a little bit deceptive, mm-hmm. uh, that if you, so that you don't know that someone is 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 pulling up in your wake. Um, but he got me at a gas station because I had gotten a flat an hour beforehand, maybe two hours beforehand in Palmyra, and it took me forever to change the tire. And I actually, from Palmyra all the way to the end, uh, I was not able to get the tire to seat all the way around. Okay. So I was—I just had to risk it. It's like risk it for the biscuit. Like this is race mode time. I just put it on with it wobbly. You know, if you don't put your—if the bead doesn't sit on both sides, yeah, it'll be yeah. a little wobbly like yeah. this every time it goes around. Yeah. My rear tire for 200 miles was like that because um, I couldn't spare a moment. I could, I, I, my, it, it was a mixture of hand strength and maybe dirt inside the tube or around the tube. Yeah. I just, or in Couldn't the, in the bead itself. And yeah. I'm like, or my pump was losing, like didn't have enough. I needed five more PSI. Uh, I, I would not have gotten caught by him. I think if one of those things had not, right. not been the case. <laughs> so I was like that whole, we rode together for about 200 miles until the end and we didn't decide I can't speak for him, but I'm pretty yeah. sure he was on the same boat. We were both thinking when we we're going to get each other. Like, yeah. when's the moment that I'm going to attack? If he takes too long at this store, I'm going to leave. Yeah. Uh, so wait, wait. Like, you were riding like we rode together. Oh, okay. We chose. I mean, at that yeah, point, yeah, we're yeah. like, gosh, like it's been 20 yeah. days. Yeah. Uh, we might. Uh, I know the roads, so I can yeah. show him around. It was nice to have company because I didn't have company for almost the entire time. Yeah. Um. Uh. And I figured there's it's, there's little chance I'm going to be able to just ride him off my wheel at this point. So he, he was there. Yeah. He got me at the gas station. So we could I could either try to ride him off my wheel, which is at that point we're just riding 13 miles an hour. We can't do anything. <laughs> we can't do anything more. Um, you, it, it's it's really just don't be stopped. It's the only advantage that you can have. You're not yeah. going to ride him, be faster than him. Yeah. Um, so what I figured I could do is use local knowledge of the roads because I know the Capitol Trail like the back of my hand. Yeah. Um, I know a bunch of these. I mean, just every, everything from Ashland to um, Williamsburg, I know perfectly. Yeah. Um, and the Colonial Parkway, once I'm on it, I don't think I'll get mm-hmm. turned around. We rode that way the entire time. We're, we're like sizing each other up. We're talking about our race history. And, yeah. Uh, he, I think, was probably a more prolific racer than I was. Um, and it wasn't... We did some sprints yeah uh with maybe a mile or two to go and then we sat up and we just rode in together yeah uh but we we it wasn't until the sprints that we were like okay we've had our fun haven't yeah. we and then i'm glad we did i'm glad it ended the way it did because racing for 12th or 11th is like kind of silly yeah uh, and instead we got cool pictures of us bumping our hands together which is like made it I nice think i saw it that's nice yeah actually i saw that picture because i think it was, that was was that on parkway or that was right at the monument my okay mm-hmm Nice. Okay. Um, how'd you keep your you like? Would you have like a battery charger with you the whole time, like to charge? Like, so I brought. Um, I, I bought a. You basically can't do this ride without having a dynamo front wheel. So okay. it's a generator front okay. wheel. 
that was wired up to my headlight. And so that gener that is a very power efficient way to have a very bright, effective light okay. is your headlight. It's yeah. like literally like a car headlight almost, but a yeah. little bit smaller. Um, that only uses like 10 watts okay. uh, when you're when it's on and you're just riding, powering it with your pedaling. Yeah. Uh, I also had a, I, I don't know if it was a sine wave brand or one of the other brands, but a, a USB charger that okay. hooked up to that dynamo as well. Okay. And you just have to go more than about six miles an hour for it to be able to charge stuff. And the faster you go above six is the more it will charge your phone while also using the head, headlight. Now, if you're not using the headlight, then it's pretty easy to do. And you just have you put your phone in your gas tank and you okay. can have it plugged in. I actually used it very little because I would charge my phone when I would stay in a hotel or something. Yeah. And it would just keep its charge pretty well because I wasn't using it that much. I was okay. just on the phone or looking at... I mean, I had to charge it probably once a day, but it okay. wasn't like... Or, or let's say once a day and then once at night. But okay. really wasn't that bad. Okay. All right. But it, you, I, I would have had a really hard time not if doing you, it. If you had and the people... I, and I'll... This is probably a little bit... Um, in the weeds but i i as a student of this pretty new sport i think that there are kind of two extremes for how you do it okay. there is ride kind of slow relatively speaking and never stop never sleep like if you could sleep like two hours a night yeah. great as opposed to like the five or six yeah um in 2018 the record was set so just the year before me it was yeah. re the record was set by like a guy in his 50s who rode super hard and he got more sleep each night and i was like that sounds like my kind of style mm -hmm. uh so i went for that one uh, you know not being able to really like test it i figured that was the way to go knowing me i would want more sleep knowing me i and like when i got out there and i was i saw the field yeah. it was clear that i was like the time trialist of the people in the group yeah like i had a super low position yeah flat back slam stem I was comfortable, honestly, and it's like I've yeah. spent a lot of time in that position. A lot of people were up in the wind, catching when they didn't have aerodynamic stuff yeah. on. But you know, I was going. Let's say on a, on like day one, I averaged nineteen miles an hour for okay. two hundred and sixty-five miles that's a, with that's a, a at tips. least half of a mountain pass in there. Um, and uh, but if you averaged eighteen miles an hour, yeah, and you slept two hours less, you know, on average every night, yeah. then you know, like you actually are faster. Mm -hmm. um, it's hard without doing many of these races to know what your optimal strategy is. And yeah. I'm okay with the one that I did, but I could have slept a lot less and that would have saved a lot of time. Like if I had to think about it, if I had slept one hour less each night yeah, or, or otherwise not been stopped on the bike, yeah, then that's almost a full day that I would have gotten back, which is crazy. That's to right. Yeah. Yeah. Over that time, you know, 22 days, one, at least one more hour. Yeah. You have to do it again to do it again. Well, maybe I will. Maybe I'll go for the old man category sometime. And actually, like I think I was beaten by three or four guys in their fifties, so I got plenty of time. Okay. Um, Get some old man strength. So you came home. What was the thought? You 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 finish this thing. Like what's what's the like what's the thought once you actually finish this thing? It was like, well, so it was a little bit of a mixed bag. One, I, the the fun stuff is, uh, you know, I got I rode the couch for three weeks okay uh i like my if you've had this like super fried feeling in your legs mm -hmm. uh like if, if you've been i didn't cramp the entire time okay i had all kinds of pain yeah. uh it was primarily like soft tissue around my joints pain okay. um and i can spend some time talking about that but yeah. the uh i never cramped and i didn't and it but i would cramp when i would get off the couch and it was <laughs> it felt like um 
like <laughs> I had guitar strings on my legs that people were plucking. Like I felt like like I had literally Ooh. been burnt to a crisp inside my legs and my muscles were just were uh, like dried out rubber bands that had been stretched. And like if you pulled it just a little bit more, it was gonna break. Yeah. Um, like it had lost its elasticity. That's what my legs felt like for three weeks. It was like as long as I was riding is what the recovery took. Um, I was just a mess. And the good news is I felt awesome. Like I was just like I did it, and I'm getting all this attention from people, and my friends are really happy for me, and yeah. my mom was really happy for me, and so that actually was really nice. And like if I hadn't had all that, like if I were to do this again, I had to go through all that same stuff again, and it, and I, it's you know I have a diminished sense of accomplishment. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure the recovery would be as good. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like if I had to have the worse. attention. Yeah. <laughs> but the the sort of negative side of it is right around the time like within a half an hour of me getting back my friend robin was killed in in uh yeah. new york city yeah um so robin hightower um heitman heitman thank yeah. you yeah 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 she was they were known in uh in richmond a yeah. uh, very strong writer and and sort of very like good personality yeah and uh this is is very much missed and but the, the, just like the timing of it is such a it was like within half an hour is nuts like it's like one yeah. of the first things that i that i learned when i was like letting all the salt wash off of me off of me in the york river yeah uh it's like what a i sort of hate to say it but like what a buzzkill right you know and it, and it, it immediately made me realize that it wasn't about me and i didn't do it for me yeah. as, as silly as it sounds like it was a it was a grand adventure yeah i would recommend it to people if it seems like something that you'd be interested in doing yeah um uh, but I did it because I wanted to make a statement about traffic safety, all that advocacy stuff that, yeah. that we were talking about. Um, my mom was hit by a drunk driver when I was in high school, and she's paralyzed, and she lives with me. Uh, and We've had a pretty hard life in, in part because of that. And um, every day we get to be reminded of the importance of driving safely and saving people's lives. Yeah. Because just today some cat some car plowed through a group right, of people and killed yeah. five people i think the oldest lady was 81 um something has got to change and i just i i don't you know i'm just a regular guy uh yeah i don't uh, i think many people will say that i'm not a regular guy and that's okay but i think of myself as being a regular guy and what can i do to get people's attention and it's like well right across the country has done something and i and maybe there's something better that i can do next but um it got some attention from legislators and yeah. uh, some elected officials. Whether or not I got a policy out of it, whether or not I saved anyone's life, you never know, right? But uh, I will continue to do big, dumb, bombastic things if it gets people to pay attention to that. Okay. Um, I would say I would encourage you to do dumb things, but... Um, uh, yes. Dumb in a nice way. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yes, having the attention, I believe that would certainly help. Um you know, being being more noticeable, we have more people pay attention, kind of thing. So, um, yes, I encourage you to to continue. So, um, and a vastly simpler question, because um, we've covered quite a lot of stuff. Um, and I don't. Um, what is your first memory of riding a bike? Well, I certainly have a, a memory of. Riding so earlier, the, yeah. What are your earliest memories of riding a bike? Let's go with that. Yeah. I certainly remember riding the the bike with the training wheels, and I remember uh, shortly thereafter at a different house. I was in an apartment with my dad, and our mm -hmm. first house. 
my dad teaching me how to ride without the training wheels. And I think we all have the story. I've listened to all of your podcasts so far uh, where uh, we look back and our dad doesn't have her hand on the, on the saddle. It's like, yeah. what a surprise it is. And yeah. we all immediately crash. And I remember how rudy my front yard was uh, at that time. It was like, you, you could have picked a smoother place, dad. Um, but I actually want to think more uh, in middle school. I remember um, I'm an only child and I think that's, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a, it's a, it's been a big part of who I am and how I look at the world and sort of engage with the world. And I had summers by myself with nothing to do while my parents were at work. And I had an old huffy bike that I could get out of the garage. Mm -hmm. And I remember the first time I rode 10 miles, I did it by riding one mile 10 times. Uh, (laughs) And I felt so accomplished. I remember how squeaky my chain was. I remember how much my knees hurt. And now I know it's because my saddle was too low. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and just how like effortful it was because this bike was very inefficient. Yeah. On this old country road, like I go by there now, and like this, the sense of scale of that street is so different. Being an adult, like I felt like it was much bigger and and different at that time. But I remember that that accomplishment, and I didn't feel that kind of accomplishment again for God for twenty or ten years. Yeah, you know, until I started riding again. Okay, all right. Um, I amongst all the stuff that people convey, I find it very interesting. Like, where did it start? Like, what was the what was the sense someone had that first time going out on the bike ride? Um, so I like to see what people say with that. Um, but before I try to wrap everything up, um, is there anything in particular you wanted to share? You've had a lot of travel. So like, is there something that you just like wanted to share with the listeners? I've, I've taken notes. Uh, I took a lot of notes in my preparation for the sure, Trans yeah. okay. A lot of them were motivational. So a lot of them were sort of, uh, strategic or, you know, or tactical tra- things for me to get prepared. Okay. And I think it would be. I, I, I would not want to tell my story to someone and make it feel like it was about me or that it was just something that I did. Uh, I would love to share some of the things that were useful to me. Sure. If, and I think that uh, your listeners may get a little something out of it. And they're like, sure. we're, we're, we're endurance athletes. We like to endure, right? And uh, actually, my friend Dan Schmidt bought me the book um, Endure by Alex Hutchinson um, just before I left. Which and, and I didn't have time to read it, but I had read, uh, at least before I left, but I had have sense. Um, sure. So as a student of this sport, what, there's something that I have, there's a, a, a pithy sort of ism that I think is really nice to share, which is, and it, I actually got it from ultra running, but I think it very much applies, which is um, ultra endurance is 90% mental and 60% physical. <laughs> Just think about that a little bit. <laughs> um, so and some of the things that I did, to uh, prepare, I read, and I really love this book, even if you're not going to do this thing yourself, sure. is um, How Bad Do You Want It by Matt, Matt Fitzgerald. And he, has a, he actually has a number of great books. Um, uh, he's got okay. one about racing nutrition. Um, he's got, he wrote the 80-20 rule, uh, which a lot of people are familiar with. Um, he, he, that book, is, it tells sort of episodes of really important moments in sports history where someone persevered and, and succeeded. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tommy Vauclair is one that people are really familiar with and the, 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 the aughts of the Tour de France who he was not the, like to the level of, of doped up athlete like a lot of his competitors were, but he had these like grandiose, um, like you could, you watched him turn himself inside out. Like he was in so much pain. Yeah. Uh, to win on a mountain and wear the yellow jersey for like 12 stages or, or something like that. Um, 
Uh, so from him to Greg LeMond to a rugby player who lost his arm in a, in like a mechanical accident. Yeah. And like he became a better rugby player after he lost his arm. Um, and it's one, it's an awesome book, but yeah. he uses the entire book to use this metaphor called firewalking, which is walking along hot coals. Mm-hmm. And the point of, or the, the method to becoming better at endurance is to systematically get better at walking a little bit further along those coals. So you, you don't, there is no, there's no end there. Like the, this, this row of coals is infinitely long. Yeah. Um, and the only way to be able to get farther at it is to, with some system, uh, systematic and sort of measured approaches to try it and try to get a little bit farther and try to get a little bit farther. Uh, I think that that is a, a mindset that is very valuable okay. for approaching this kind of thing. Okay. And what I think is, uh, I think I have a responsibility to encourage people to try these big dumb things. And I say that in a, in a very like sort of tongue in cheek way. Yeah. Um, I think that you can do it. Like you can yeah. ride, a long way. You yeah. can ride somewhere that seems scary or daunting. And, and for you, that might mean more than your like normal shop ride. Yeah. Uh, or it might mean more than the normal heart of Virginia, which is uh, uh, an exceptionally good ride, by yeah. the way. Um, crossing the water at Scott's stores, is, store is so amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, it could mean riding your first mountain. You know, like you're wearing a uh, Storming Thunder Ridge yeah. shirt. Uh, yeah. Like that's a daunting thing, right? Yeah. Um, now just imagine riding to the bottom and riding back up it, <laughs> right? That's like, that's maybe yeah. the next thing. Uh, I really want to share, and I think that I've, um, I've sort of somewhat known now as like adopting a bit of a stoic mindset to this stuff that if you tell yourself that there isn't pain, mm-hmm. there might not be pain or like that's a good way to, to, okay. to change it. So before the Trans Am, I started getting some repetitive use stuff. Some people call it overuse. I don't think it's... Okay. Um, I don't think it's an accurate way to describe it, but I was putting in some really long weeks. I had a couple of like 300 mile weeks okay. and, uh, and that's, that's in training. Obviously like I did a whole lot more than that, uh, in the Trans Am, yeah. but my ankle started hurting. And so I go to see a PT yeah. and he says, you, you have a weak calf. So let's work on this weak calf to mm-hmm. deal with some of that, uh, PT stuff, which is so not what I was thinking. Yeah. It, we, we tend to think if you have pain in a joint, the joint is the problem, but it's really what's connected to it. And it could be really far away. It's a funny thing. Um, and it was, I mean, it it totally changed. Uh, like that I got like, I don't know, major improvement, like very much major improvement by doing calf raises and some balancing stuff. And, and some of it was a little bit intense. Yeah. But as soon as I, and I, I got out there and I was like, my ankle is feeling awesome. And I was so worried about it. Yeah. And then it started hurting. And you know, the thing is be prepared for the, you're, you're, it's not going to be easy. Like if you can start by knowing that it's going to hurt, that it's going to be hard and yeah. that the, it's going to be challenging in ways that you're not prepared for, yeah. you can at least be prepared for the unexpected part. Of right. It. And I, I read all kinds of stuff about mantras, about, uh, distracting yourself from pain, some mm-hmm. a, a variety of these books and, um, and how bad do you want is one of them. Um, so when my ankle started hurting, what I learned to do was think about my knee and I think about my, my knee. What does it feel like? How's it working until it started to hurt? And then I think about my other knee and then I think about my other ankle. And then by the time I had done that, Mm -hmm. I could go back to my other ankle and it wasn't hurting so bad anymore. Um, (laughs) and these kinds of like, you can, you can really trick yourself into being able to, to do more. Um, you know, we think like that you have to eat to be able to do 
uh, a ride or a race. You have so much energy in your body. Yeah. Like even the skinniest person has yeah. tons, like hours and hours of endurance athlete, uh, athlete performance. Yeah. Um, maybe not the fastest, yeah. but at least you can do it. Um, and so, um, an interesting quote from a, and maybe this is where I'll end it. Um, though maybe it's a little bit dark and I should try to find something nicer, but uh, a Virginian ultra runner who's really well known. He set the, I believe he set the, the fastest known time on both the Pacific coast trail and the Appalachian trail. And he got third. He set the third fastest time running across the country is a Virginian, uh, David Horton. He's well known in the running community here because okay. he puts on ultra running races. Okay. Um, he has a quote that says, how far can you run? How far can you run with a gun to your head? <laughs> and it's like, and, and really his, his second question is actually, could you run another mile with a gun to your head? And you think about it, sometimes it's as simple as, can I get over this hill? Yeah. Can I get to that next tree? Yeah. If you do that a hundred times in a row, you've you gone can, way farther yeah, than you thought you could go. Distance, yeah. Um, this is not the experience that everybody wants when they're biking or running. Right. And yeah. I mean, I, I, I get it. Uh, but I do have to say that it has been like uh, such a privilege to be able to see where I can go myself. Yeah. And like uh, I've been accused of being a competitive person. I really don't think that I am. I don't think I'm competitive. I think that I That's you want to push yourself. Am ex- yeah, I just want to explore. Yeah. And like I, I don't want to quit. That's yeah. the thing. So I have friends who are way faster, way more skilled. And I'm way more likely to give up on, in a bike race before they are. Yeah, uh, and just kind of sit in, come in mid pack. But when I when I'm out there by myself, and particularly in training, like I really like to train. Yeah. Uh, when I'm in training, I don't do those things. Mm-hmm. I just like empty it, I empty, yeah. empty the tank. Yeah. Um. So I take it as far as you like, but recognize mm-hmm. there are probably some tools and some mindsets that you can use to get a little bit farther if you'd like. Okay. Have fun with it. That's my message. Have fun, and if you tell yourself that it doesn't hurt, it doesn't hurt. The the, I say thinking of it in sections like that that completely makes sense. Like don't think of it as like I need to ride a hundred miles. It's like ten miles here, ten miles there, ten miles there, uh, to cover that distance. Um, so how does your mindset feel? Like can you how do you, when you started, like how is your mindset? Are you, do you feel like you're in the same place when you started, you were at VCU and you're riding around? Do you feel like your mind about doing activities and pushing yourself is the same as it was then as it is now? What, well, you know, I mean, I didn't, I wasn't competitive then, uh, by any stretch, but I would allow myself to feel accomplished. So I rode out to the VCU Rice Center, which now is easy to get to on the Virginia Capitol yeah. trail. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the old days I would just ride out route five the whole way and, I remember like, wow, that's a 20-ish mile ride. I feel really accomplished. Yeah. Um, and I, I have a little bit of a like a, an academic connection to that mm-hmm. um, facility. And I was able to kind of put those together in my head and think about what I could do next. Like I could ride back or I could go visit there whenever I want. I planted a lot of trees there uh, mm-hmm. when I worked at VCU. And to be able to go visit them whenever I want by bike is such a cool experience. I yeah. had some overnight trips there and... Um, then when I rode to Williamsburg, then I rode to my dad's house, then mm-hmm. I rode my first century, then I got, you know, like, I guess like a first podium and like a local race, uh, or, you know, I, and I think, uh, like from a century rider perspective, the first time you can do a century ever, the first time you do it yeah. in six hours, the first time yeah. you do it in five hours, like yeah. these are things that you can kind of start ticking off to continue to get 
more out of the sport, measure yeah. your progress, and just take a moment and feel accomplished. Because I feel like the the downside to the competitive aspect of cycling mm-hmm. is that it's so easy to feel like you're never enough. And I I think early on said I'm gonna play by someone. I'm gonna play my, by my own rules. Like these, you, these rules are terrible. Like yeah. I can go race Brian Park, and I love Brian Park. Yeah. The, the Tuesday night races are awesome and such yeah. a a foundation. But if you go and you try to play by someone else's rules, you're just going to feel inferior. You're, you don't corner well enough or you're mm-hmm. not strong enough. Yeah. Uh, and then you might be tempted to either become like really aggressive and like kind of yeah. gruff. Like that's not the experience everybody wants when they're biking. I don't like sure. it, to, to, truth be told. And I think uh, I just had to weather being turned off about that kind of side of the sport for a long time mm-hmm. uh, while I was trying to find my own kind of space. Okay. Um, so, and I'm not talking to you yeah. specifically. I mean, just like for a listener, yeah. like I'm gonna hear this. Try something new, and it, maybe it's gravel. Yeah. Maybe it's you know trying your first uh, bike packing trip. That's been a thing yeah. for a lot of people, and I, mm-hmm. I really like um, the Swift, the Swift campout that um, has happened. I think the past two years, maybe three years, which is an overnight trip out to Chip Oaks Plantation State Park. That's okay. primarily on the Capitol Trail. Uses the ferry over to is it Surrey? I think it's Surrey. Um, sure. And it's great camping out there, and it's a like I think it's seventy miles each way, and it's okay. like you can do that in a day, no problem, right? Yeah, it's pretty easy. Lots of stops along the way. So, uh, what I would encourage people for, to take from my story is, uh, don't be so serious. Like I, I, as silly as it might sound, I was not really that serious about it. Like I did, I put a lot of, of riding in. I learned a lot about what makes a bike go fast, what makes a person go fast. Mm-hmm. But I was always pretty lighthearted about it. Okay. Uh, when it came time to race, I wanted to keep catching people, but I was never like, you know, that that like quintessential like uh, aggressive like must crush people yeah. kind of way. It yeah. was more like I just want to blossom as much as I possibly can and have okay. the most fun that I can. Okay. And so actually, that's one of the things that comes out of uh, how bad do you want it? That's basically a book that tells you ten or fifteen things about how to perform better when it's hard or painful or, or whatever. If you can have fun, you can do a lot better. Yeah. If you compliment people as you're out at a gas station or, uh, you know, someone else in the group ride, yeah. it literally changes your internal brain chemistry yeah. so that you're more likely to be able to perform better or okay. to not feel pain to the same degree or to delay the onset of the pain or to, um, avoid mistakes. All yeah. kinds of things like that. So, like the mental aspect, the ninety percent of it being mental. I mean, yeah. I, I believe it one hundred percent. Okay. All right. Okay. Well, I'm glad you're still enjoying endurance sports. You know that you didn't just like put the bike up completely. You're still doing like just a little riding, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I do group rides, and okay. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm more casual. I like to go places. Is okay. the way that I like to do it for sure. Okay. All right. Um, okay. Um, all right, Brantley. Uh, here, I'm going to thank you for your time um, as I crash into the end here. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I I, I um, really appreciate you you taking the time to to, to let me talk to you um, and pick your brain about all the things you're involved in um, and just your experience riding, man. Trey, it's been a pleasure. And also, I want to thank you for doing this because I think telling the stories of people who ride bikes in Richmond is is really valuable. I think yeah. we're a tight knit community, and I think. Uh, we all have a little bit to share, and I, I mean, I've really been impressed by the the different voices you've had on here so far, from CJ and Andrew, mm-hmm. um, 
to and I, I'm going to blank on her name now, but the the ride leader for um for Thunder Ridge, Paula. Yeah. yeah, like yeah. Uh, she's a, she's a character. Each three of those have been yeah. so different, right? Yeah. And I think uh, I look forward to where this goes. Well, thank you. Appreciate it.